I, I, I worked on him for a long updates. time. He's That's rad. <laughs> I need to send him a hello. I should send him a, a thank you card. <laughs> for not forgetting about me. He yeah. probably he probably uh like shake the dust off of it or something and Okay, I think uh, we're live. Can you guys see me? No. That's interesting. Okay, we're live on YouTube now. Okay. Awesome. Okay. There's a little bit of a lag, so somebody needs to grab that YouTube and drop it on Facebook. Okay. Can you do that, Titus? Yes, let me do that, which means someone else is going to have to do the intro song. Oh. One of you is going to have to condescend to that level. And nope. I, I don't think I can. Andrew, I can't see you. Or I'm Anthony, coming. I'm sorry. I'm coming back. All right. Well, this is a boring introduction, but welcome, everybody, to the Dank Kingdom pod. This is not the dankest opening I've ever I've ever used. <laughs> hey, speaking of dank, Titus, your beard is getting woolly. Thank you. My wife was just complaining about that. Oh, too. no. She's not <laughs> one of those, is she? She just doesn't like the side. She doesn't like the side? What's wrong That's with her side? main complaint. So, like, what, what happens with your beard when you let it grow to, to the point that you have let yours? I mean, does, does the sides just kind of come down or do you actually trim your sides no no i don't trim nothing like so this is this is like that's 13 years old and this is 13 or 18 years old it's all the same it just does its own thing it's like uh trained interesting so yeah you gotta just let it just it won't just go straight out well some people do and those are called viking beards and they're rad you, you like <laughs> <laughs> Lightning beards? Viking. Viking. Viking beards. Like the forked beards? Yeah. Beards okay, are we up on, are we, do we, have we caught everybody up? Are we? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, to the face. Did you drop a link on DKCM? Yeah. Yep. And, okay. Sweet. Well, okay, well, why don't we do an official opening now? Titus, you want to start us off? Let's see what we got here. Bop, 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 dang kingdom pod. Suck. Nice. So, because we're trying to add, give an ad. <laughs> we, uh, what, what do we want to start with? Do we want to start talking about some memes? Yeah. Um, let me see, Anthony. You haven't pulled it up yet, right? So I could just share my screen. No, I don't. Sorry about that. Okay, let me share my screen here. So, I thought this this one was pretty good. Oh, not it. It was by Jared Shetler on. Matthew Millian shared your post. Ah. <clears throat> I still have a few shreds of penal substitutionary atonement theory in, left in me, but I How do we really, fix that? In spite yeah. of that, I really, really appreciate these memes bashing it. So Jared shared this. It, it says, God, after hearing about penal substitutionary atonement for the first time, and then it's Michael Scott, and I don't think you'll be able to hear this, but he's, he's basically saying, looks like I'm the killer. <laughs> Never expected that I'd be the killer. Great twist. So if you hear him say it, it's it's a lot funnier. Um, 
but yeah that was a meme i appreciated we had a lot of good psa stuff going on at the end of the week here yeah it, it really right and the thing that i like about the whole psa thing is that we can do psas about psa um public service announcement psa is a bad plan <laughs> Hilarious. We need to, the most effective PSA campaign was this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs with the uh, smashing the egg with the frying pan. Are, were any of you on TV enough to catch that? No. Oh, I, I just know it culturally. Yeah. That was the best PSA ever. We need to come up with one of those for PSA. This is God <laughs> on PSA awesome. smashing a kitchen with a, with a, with a cast iron pan. Smashing his son. Yeah. Yeah, the concept so, of crucifixion is what God did to Jesus. Wow. <clears throat> hey, that list of scriptures David Sinebria had was uh, was awesome with them all together highlighted. You mean Matt Landis? I think those were Matt uh, Yes, you're right. It was Matt. Sorry. Didn't mean to uh, miscredit that. Sinebria wrote the paragraphs. Yes. Yeah, it was some of the better paragraphy we've seen in a while. Sure. But, Matt but, Landis uh, was, is an anti-PSA homie. Well, he so, had some good resources for who killed yeah. Christ. Definitely seemed like he had been... Yeah, he had been... Uh, seemed to be on, on our side of that fight. So so here's the thing. I think that uh, since, we're, since we're here... Um, N.T. Wright, when I when I read his stuff and listen to his stuff, seems to want to do the the middle of the road thing. Like I, yeah. his prejudice is pretty clear towards ransom, but he leaves this this place open for um, for some kind of substitutionary something or other. And I I don't I don't get that. I get the idea that the atonement is a bigger concept than fits well in a particular isolated box. And I get the idea of there being irreconcilable things about atonement that we don't understand how it works. Like some kind of, I'm, I'm partial to the idea that the, the devil is the payee of the ransom, but whether that's true or not, you know, there's some differences of opinion, even in the patristics about that, but okay. So I get that leaving room for nuance and some shades of meaning and some differentiation, but I don't, uh, you know, I, I had posted earlier today, some comments, just a few quick comments to somebody about why it matters. And there are radically different views of who God is and his character, what Jesus is doing and how all of this works. Like the atonement's a pretty core idea. You can't just kind of like pick and choose it. It, it, it has dramatic outcomes based on how you view that stuff am i am i just too black or white with that or or what i think some of us do have um some people do have the ability to hold like uh conflicting ideas in their heads that maybe even logically don't actually fit together uh -huh. and just deal with that more than mm -hmm. others do so sure. i i think it's i think i i believe there are people out there um, I think there's probably a lot of them who have managed to find a way to think of God as a loving father and also believe doctrinally that God murders his son in order to uh, satisfy his own demand for blood. Um, 
it doesn't mean that those ideas go together rationally, but mm -hmm. spiritually people live with those ideas. And because God is who God is, regardless what you think about him, yeah, he meets people who have bad ideas in their heads. And I think he manages to break through those ideas um, re regardless of how wrong they are and meet the person, um, you know, heart to heart. What are your PSA holdouts, Titus? Isaiah 53 and became sin? Um, it's a good question. It's probably because my whole life, right, sort of what I was taught. And especially when mm -hmm. I've started, when I started doing a lot of evangelism, I started thinking a lot more about what Jesus actually did on the cross because I was, you know, sharing about it, what he did on the cross for people. And that's when I tried to m have it make sense in my mind. And the courtroom scenario, because it's such a like, it makes so much sense. It's so airtight. It's um, it, it's very logical. We, I can see why reform people go for it. It just it settled the best for me. It was the easiest thing I could tell people on the street. Says, "Hey, you you broke the law. You deserve to be beat for it, or you deserve a punishment." Well. Guess uh -huh. what? Jesus was punished instead of you, so you don't need to be punished. And it was, it was the easiest way I could explain the cross. Uh, and I, I had never heard ransom theory or Christus yeah. victory or anything like that. So it's, it, it's just been so. I guess, you know, when you share something, when you teach something, it, it ingrains it in yourself more and more. Right. Um, now, as far as biblically, I. Because that's the real problem with that PSA model. Is it? It's not biblical. <laughs> Sure, but but neither is ransom necessarily an explicit ransom theory of God paying Jesus to Satan, and 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 then Satan giving God us in return, and then trick play Jesus rising from the dead, and Satan is bummed out. That's that. You can make a caricature of that that sounds just as dumb as the caricatures of PSA. And sure, but Jesus literally says, "I give my life a ran my blood a ransom for many." Yeah, and and the idea that God gave <clears throat> God a ransom is is a little silly. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I can see how the early church fathers got to that theory, um, but yeah, as as far as as far as scriptures, I mean, Jesus becoming a curse for us, Jesus bearing our sin, um, it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, some of those verses, I, I still, uh, you know, they seem to slant toward PSA a bit. But I, I've heard you guys' responses to those verses, and I think I'm satisfied with it. I'm just not at the point where it's really, maybe, maybe and this is what you were talking about a little bit earlier, like how important is this that I get the actual mechanism of the atonement, or is it important enough that I know that the atonement gets me to where I need to go, you know? Well, ironically, it's the evangelistic use that's one of the most important things about these. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. I think, I think what you say to non-believers or what I've been saying to non-believers probably reveals where I'm at more than anything. So when I was in India, for example, I didn't feel right preaching PSA. It just it just didn't settle with me. And most of the time I when I presented the gospel, I did give some vague version of ransom. So, I mean, uh -huh. maybe maybe I am there. <laughs> um because that's what I'm sharing, and that's what I feel comfortable sharing at this point. Um, yeah. And I, I read Christus Victor. I read William Lane Craig's work on it. So I, I have looked into it some. It's just I don't think the scripture is that clear about, like, what the actual mechanism of it is. I think it's just saves us. Mm -hmm. 
there's one concept that, and you mentioned, Matthew, the, the thing of um, substitutionary, um, <clears throat> substitutionary atonement and um, or vicarious atonement does not necessarily have to be tied in with penal satisfaction, does it? Right. That's true. That there's a, that there is a, there's yeah. no question that, that Christ was exposed was exchanged for us that there Absolutely. was an exchange yeah um but but it's the mm -hmm. nature of the exchange that that's the issue right the just for um, the unjust yeah and and to me the the mm -hmm. biggest thing which mm -hmm. is something that i said in a in a recent conversation um the to me what the breaking point for me with theories of the atonement is not even necessarily who paid who to what and why but what did the atonement what did the atonement do to god and to man and what i have a major issue with my big sticking point with psa is simply the idea that jesus did something to change god's mind mm -hmm. yeah that that god god has always been pointed at us and it's we that were pointed away all we like sheep have gone astray we've turned everyone to his own way and so forth and, um, and yet, and so what God does is sends Christ to draw us, to pull us to him. Like he says, I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men to me. Now with that verse, I just quoted though, I do have a question, which is, um, he said, it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It does sound like God's laying our sins on him rather than on us. But that once again, that's not necessarily saying God's exacting vengeance. I guess God's laying his sins on on him like the scapegoat to carry him away. That's more the idea. Well, he's certainly take he's certainly bearing the consequences of our sins. Mm -hmm. Like whichever framework okay. you want to put so it in. I want I want to I want to press you on that, Matthew. You're saying he's bearing the consequences. You cut out. You froze there, Titus. Are you still there? Yeah, we lost Titus. Well, I'll, I'll just, I'll follow up with what I think his question was and hopefully he'll jump back in. I'm guessing it was, are you there, Titus? No. Um, I would guess that he was trying to say in what sense did he bear our iniquity or be made sin for us? And... Mm -hmm. We lost you, Titus. I was just guessing at your question. What was what was my what was your guess? Or should I just say what I was? What well, I was, I was just saying I was guessing he was going to say, in what sense did he bear our iniquity, or did did the Father place those things on him, or did he become sin? Is that your question? Well, uh, oh, we're losing you again. Let let me move to closer talk amongst yourselves. All right, all right. I think the reason that um, one of the things that predisposed me to ransom when I first heard about it, like I, I had never heard about it until I was converted and in my twenties. And um, it was my study, the patristics that first brought it up to me. And when, when I heard it, I had all the normal questions that people have when it's a new idea. What about Isaiah 53? What about bearing our sins? What about he who knew new sin became sin for us? Like all those things immediately flashed through my mind. But the reason I was disposed to the idea is that I remembered all the way back to my Sunday school days as a little boy and hearing all of the PSA cliches, 
like um a, if god's just then he then he has to require punishment and that and i even as a little boy i was like where's that rule written down like why does it why does it say that who how do we know that uh-huh. Even the legal stuff about the devil had a case against us before God. And I was like, where? Where are those laws written? Like, I don't understand any of this framework. It's all contrived out of the idea itself. And, and so when I, when, when I was introduced with Ransom, I started to, I first stepped back and I said, okay, let's do an analysis of the relevant texts with this as the, as the key work instead of PSA. And all of a sudden, things like clicked like tumblers, like click, 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 click. Oh, this all opens this up really, really well. Like the idea that that God meant what he said in the Old Testament, that he was quick to forgive, that he was slow to anger, that he was he wanted uh-huh. to reconcile. All of that autobiographical uh-huh. information about God and his character. And then the the real clincher for me has always been the, the revelation that there is no forgiveness in PSA. Like that's not forgiveness. You, you, you mm-hmm. don't get to receive payment mm-hmm. and claim forgiveness. And so the parable of the kingdom with the, with the, you know, the unjust servant that chokes out his fellow servant for his debts when he's been forgiven and the ability to revoke the debt by the King who freely forgave all of that doesn't make any sense with PSA. And I was like, that's it. That's gotta be, I don't know all the details, but this has to be a better scenario. Yeah. And that, that, um, that thing. And even now, as I'm still sorting through atonement, that basic point, you can't both forgive and receive payment. Right. And how does he, and, and the other thing is I've thought of it years, you know, God, God exacts payment but then I'm supposed to forgive people without exacting payment. How does that work? And then Jesus says, right. be like God. Right. I'm like, be like, okay, well, I guess I can exact payment, right? Right, right. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Um, I had another, now it slipped my mind. Um, I'll think about it a little bit. I had another, uh, oh, I know what it was. <clears throat> and this is something, kind of a, a personal experience, something that I felt like the Lord um, really showed me and and did something um with in my in my life and dealing with specifically an issue of forgiveness and i i'd like to hear um if it's something that comes out of a out of a penal satisfaction understanding or if it's compatible with ransom theory because for me it was a it was like a major light bulb moment at the time and then you know you look back um short version i was doing some um i was reading the book of john um going through some things that uh um, that I, w- I was really upset about some kind of felt like I got a raw deal from some people and so forth. And in the book of John, Jesus is talking to, um, to Nicodemus and he, he pictures himself as the snake on a pole. And he says, you know, um, I, when I be lifted up, I'll, I'll draw a man to me <clears throat> as Moses lifted up serpent in the wilderness. I'm going to be lifted up and so forth. And I felt like, um, I felt like there was something really key that was there and i spent some time thinking about praying about it and what i came to at that time was this idea that jesus um god never told moses take one of these dead snakes and hang it on a pole he says make something in that shape that 
that that resemblance of it and that's what jesus did the, the becoming sin that jesus never jesus wasn't a snake but he he was identified in that role at least in his you know his suffering and death and so forth well it says in the likeness of sinful flesh right uh-huh. um, so so it's that picture but but the idea was the lord um was showing me this you know c- c- comparing the death of a snake if you've ever killed a snake when i was down in arkansas a number of years ago um i was walking up a creek bank uh river riverbed stones and rocks everywhere barefoot um the people that were locals told me i was crazy and if i knew what i was doing and um i would never done it but i killed two i killed two water moccasins with rocks while i was there and they were angry and hissing and i was far enough away that um that they couldn't get to me um before i like rocked them out but um that that picture of that snake that's angry and writhing and hissing and and wants to wants to get its teeth into somebody, and then you contrast that with the the picture of Christ as the Lamb that is he that is he was he was taken for prisoner from judgment, you know, as sheep to his slaughter. He was he was he was dumb. He didn't say anything. A lamb doesn't fight back, and so forth. And the Lord drew this comparison for me. Look at look at the snake and look at the lamb. Jesus is the snake you know, or, or Jesus is the lamb, you know, but here you, but, but you're like a snake, you know, you want to get your teeth into somebody, somebody hurts you, you know, you want to strike and bite and get your venom in and, and, and get your, you know, get your licks in on them and so forth. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, do you see what I've done here? I've gone to the cross to take your snake with me to the cross so I mm-hmm. can give you the lamb that I am. Yeah. Well, that's that's one of the things that I really love about ransom is that the object of the object of the ransom, the point to it is is to change us. It's to take the snake out of us, exactly mm-hmm. like you say. So I think that fits because um, because with PSA, I don't become any less of a snake. I mean, I guess it it on in the long run, uh, reform people would say that perseverance in mm-hmm. the saints means we perfect our lives in Christ because of our, our love and devotion to him. But whether we do or don't is immaterial to our justification. So that's a big mm-hmm. difference. Yeah. And, and I think if, if I could just say something following on from what, uh, David, what you said about the snake on the pole, um, I think mm-hmm. this connects in really well with to bring up uh, Gerard, Rene Gerard again, um, the the single victim mechanism and the way that human society scapegoat a victim um, in order to restore peace and order. That is, and, and it's explicit in the story of the gospel um, when Caiaphas says, we have to, we mm-hmm. have to pick one man to die so for the, the whole nation, the, for the nation doesn't, yeah. dis- doesn't destroy, get destroyed. And 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 Caiaphas is doing something like that's not a special thing he's saying that's how all societies operate most of the time you don't get someone articulating it like that but what what is happening in the crucifixion like with every other scapegoating event in history um, is that the society takes its own internal um, conflicts and hatreds and and uh, you know historic bitterness and everything, and it projects them onto the chosen victim. And mm-hmm. so when the when the Jews looked at Jesus hanging on the cross, 
all of their angst, all of their, all of their uh, oppression under the Romans, all of these, all of these, uh, you know, the, the, the ways that their fellow countrymen had betrayed them in their fight for freedom, you know, in the factions they had within their society, all of those things, Jesus embodied those things to them. All of that sin and violence that existed in that society was when they looked at him, just like when the Israelites looked at the, looked at the snake on the pole, they saw the evil of their society concentrated in that one spot. And they thought that that was the, at that moment in time, he was the problem and they were getting rid of him. And so it's, it's, it's a very visceral and real way in which he carries our sins and bears our sorrows in that, in that, um, in, in this model, it doesn't go away. It does not become, you know, that doesn't become softer. As, as you're talking about that, my going back to Isaiah 53, cause it's a, it's a favorite PSA, um, uh, passage. Mm -hmm. But when you, mm -hmm. when you think about it, especially in light of what you said, um, that, that Christ was the Christ was the projection of our evil and mm -hmm. we projected it on him. And, you know, this, the, or the, the Jews at that time, and by extension us, um, and that surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. It was, it was us, but the, it was us doing it, but we thought God was doing it. Yeah. And that, that's almost mm -hmm. a summing up of, it's, it's almost a built-in critique of PSA right there. Right. This idea that, yeah, <laughs> you know, we, we thought this was God, but it was us and it was our problem. Yes. And we actually, I mean, those of us who were there were actually yelling at him. Why doesn't God save him if he loves him so much? Obviously God is in on this. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So back to my question that I was going to ask before I cut out. So Matthew, you had said back then that, um, that, Jesus took the consequences of our sin, but I would, I would think that we traditionally view the consequences of our sin as the wrath of God rather than the wrath of Satan. Now, there might be some sort of caveat to that where you say that, you know, if, if you're cast into hell, Satan torments you, or I don't know, that's kind of speculation at that point, but in, in that case, wouldn't he be taking the wrath of God? If no, no, you're, you're on the wrong track. The consequence of our sin is to be in bondage to the kingdom of darkness. That's the consequence that he takes. Like, here's the thing. Here's what I try to explain about forgiveness whenever I talk about atonement. <clears throat> it doesn't matter how much, like, forgiveness only works on, on, on a, in a relationship. In, in other words, to restore or justify or atone, we need a, a reciprocity. So like if, if Titus, if you and I are, are next door neighbors and every Tuesday you knock on my door and I come and answer my door and you slap me in the face. And then as soon as you walk away, I, I just like Christ forgive you seven times 70. It's like, it never even happened. Next Tuesday, you knock on my door, slap me in the face. Next Tuesday, you knock on my door, slap me on the face. I, it doesn't matter how well I forgive you. Procuring forgiveness from me is not the problem in our relationship. 
the problem in our relationship is that you can't do anything but slap me in the face. Like that's on your side. And that's the, that's the analysis of the, pro, that's a proper analysis of where we're at with God as transgressors. And, and it's a little more complex because we're in slavery to that system that, that causes us to do that. So, so like maybe, maybe you're, you take a hallucinogen on Tuesday mornings when you get up and when you see me, you see something that I'm not. And that's why you slap me in the face because you're afraid or because you're running away or whatever the case may be. But I have to change you for us to get a relationship together. That's the consequence that's undone with the cross. Now, the, the end result of that is damnation. Like because, but, but, but damnation is the result of lacking the connection to the divine that comes through uh, our relation to our creator. Like the end of that, when everything gets settled, is that if you're on that side of the equation, damnation. But that's not the problem that we're trying to resolve. And that's why I think there's a huge uh, frame of reference difference between PSA and ransom. We're trying to not get rid of it. We're not trying to get rid of hell. We're trying to get rid of the snake. Because if you get rid of the snake, you get rid of hell. So you're saying that, that the atonement takes care of the current problem, not some future problem. Right. Which exactly. is interesting because I can see how that ties into kingdom theology more in that Anabaptists or kingdom Christians are more concerned about <laughs> heaven on earth right now and right. people changing their lives right now rather than justification for some future. Exactly. Uh -huh. It's the current kingdom, not the future eschaton. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Did you guys want to talk about um, what we had prepared for? Yes. At least what I had prepared for. Yeah. Jump on out. I think that's a, I'll call that resolved. We're all ransom. Hallelujah. <laughs> I, I if if we if we decide to discuss a meme at the top of every one of these episodes, you know the whole conversation is going to go on that because you guys can't stop talking. Um, and this is a this is a very big switch in gears here. And I don't know, we probably won't have a lot of time, but that's fine. Um, We're but, at thirty five minutes now, so okay. So I have to to kind of set this conversation up. I have sort of seven values that I try to base my life on. And, and the reason why I know that I'm on the right track is because seven is the perfect number, um, which, which I coincidentally, if you add the number of guys on this podcast four to the number of, of dank kingdom platforms we have right now, which is three with the podcast, the satire and the memes, what do you get? Seven. So and you could probably I, add that up to six, six, six and get it to spell <laughs> COVID, right? Wait, right. wait, I'm not done yet. So I'm, I'm also 26 years old. And if you add that, you get eight and I'm one person. So you, you subtract one from eight, you also get to seven. So the, yeah. so I, I, I believe that the spirit's really moving in a lot of ways. Obviously, obviously yeah, but the embodiment of perfection is, is what you're saying. Yeah. Two plus six is eight and eight's the number of new beginnings. So there's that too. Wow. Well, uh, speaking of new beginnings, hey, just call it whatever number you want. Let, let's continue <laughs> this new beginning into this this turn of the conversation. So, like I was saying, I have I have seven kind of values that I try to, to base my life on, and I think that the Dank Kingdom page is doing very well with with promoting and exploring a lot of these values. So, for instance, one of them is you know Anabaptists or Kingdom theology, a way of viewing the world, a way of viewing the scriptures, and I think that's mostly what the memes are doing is. Um, combating error, uh, providing social commentary, and promoting truth from that sort of a lens. Um, and then, you know, some of the other values would be scripture. I think the Kingdom Christian group is, is very strong on scripture, very strong on community, um, 
care for the poor. At least I see a critique of materialism. Hopefully that that translates into a care for the poor. Uh, they're strong on holiness. So a lot of these foundational values that I really try to base my life on, I think, are being explored. Now, one the the two that I, I want to bring up that I haven't seen I haven't seen memes about, and maybe it's because they're not really memeable, or maybe it's because these are better explored in the context of a of a local church and just one on one discipleship. There um, are our prayer and um, outreach, or the Great Commission, making disciples, and I mean, like I said, it's 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 more of a private or or not necessarily private, but it's more of a um, personal and and perhaps something that issue and, and perhaps something that local churches should are, are more equipped to explore. But my concern is like if if we're if we're just promoting you know these these um, theological stances like ransom theory or or critiquing nationalism, people who who find us. Are going to think this is what Christianity is, right? And and that personal connection that we should that we can only establish with God through prayer is going to be sort of sidelined. Now, I don't I don't think any of you guys are doing that in your personal lives, um, but I, I think that that sort of an impression um, could could be given. And I, I have some quotes from Finney's book because if he said it, then you know it's definitely true. Dr. So Finney. His... Hey, wait, before you go there, before <laughs> sure. you go there, can you give me all your seven list off your seven? Um, so an Anabaptist or a kingdom view of, of viewing the world would be one. Um, so and then and then scripture, dedication to scripture, prayer, holiness, community, care for the poor, and the Great Commission. Um so they're super basic. There's nothing really controversial about them. Um, but I think that these basic practices are often missed. And uh, Finney said, um, let me see. Let us, it's in page 153. He says, let us never forget how significant the non-controversial issues are, right? So often those of us who like to debate theological issues and, and I think have a healthy desire to promote truth sometimes overlook these non-controversial issues right maybe are just as important or more important um mm -hmm. so yeah i mean that's just something i've been observing and and you know i wanted to at least discuss it here because i think this is a good platform to to discuss that so so is that are you postulating a question here or are we just discussing those those harder to meme versions or the well, maybe, lesser maybe we could um uh, just share a little bit about like how prayer uh, fits into our walk with God. Like what, what does our personal prayer life look like? Um, how, how can someone who's watching this, who wants to develop a, a more robust prayer life, what, what are the, some things they can do? Um, maybe just, yeah, give a, a little bit of, of advice as far as that goes. The, so just by way of introduction, I think that um, I think about prayer rather than as a as a, a mystic practice. Um, I think of it on the terms of basic communication, and so like, what kind of communication do I have with people? at different levels of intimacy. You know, I talk to, I, I, I talk and communicate with people at, at a whole different range of, of levels. And, 
And I think that that there's something like that happening when when Paul talks about the different kinds of prayer. He mentions four. I mean, I think he mentions uh, prayer, supplication, intercession, and uh, I don't remember what the fourth is. But Giving there's these. Thanks. What's that? Giving of thanks. Giving of thanks. Yeah, you're right. So there's like these different forms of communicating with God, and so so. So for me, there's a few different ways that that happens on uh, in in my relationship with God, in that there's a kind of discourse that I have with God that's that's very, I don't know, chatty's too sh- too shallow of a word to call it, but just like being with God uh, on a walk and uh, mm-hmm. you know or through your day or you know, just the normal friendliness of, of knowing God and being present with him or, and then, you know, gratitude as it filters into your life and giving of thanks. And, but then there's this other kind of discourse with God that's very, has very much of an agenda, Um, whether it's intercession or supplication, both of those have a a goal in mind. And so, So I think those are healthy distinctions to make that we we have opportunity to communicate with God on a whole range of things. But I don't know if I've talked to you guys about it before, but I've been I've been um, critical of my own use of formula. And it, it's it's ironically um, paralleled my my um, regular use of the Lord's Prayer. What I mean by that is that. I'm seeing pattern in the Lord's prayer of a, a, a series of, of um, touch points to make connection with God about. And I'm using that model more and more in my life. But the thing that I'm doing less of is using the formulaic expression in Jesus name, amen, as a way to close out a prayer. Because what I began to consider is that it's not appropriate to use that formula in my chatty versions of prayer. What, what in Jesus' name means is that I'm coming in the behalf of Christ to make this particular petition. And to begin to emphasize that particular form, formula as, as to mean that when I say it, that when I say in Jesus' name, I'm staking something. I'm saying, I think that I'm in the place that Christ would be asking for him. And that's a different thing. And I think should be reserved for, for the, for things that that's worthy of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I know that some people I think are more, their, their natural disposition is more for that chatty type of prayer. I know my wife, um, is more geared toward that you know she she prays throughout the day and for me it's it's a little more difficult to do that i'm more of the intentional um mm. type where you know i i connect god with god best when i'm completely alone when they're like usually it's first thing in the morning when there's no distractions um and i can just clear my mind and have like a direct conversation and and connection with god and I, I think that's generally the kind of prayer that that people find most difficult, if if I'm not mistaken, like where where you're just alone and you're trying to develop that spiritual discipline. Um, I, I think a lot of people just find that very dry. I think it's even more difficult than scripture. You know, scripture, you can 
you can immerse yourself in and it's interesting and there's lots of little rabbit holes to go down um, or even reading a book or having a, a good conversation with someone about the kingdom. But that that just where you're just alone talking with God, I think that that's one of the most difficult spiritual disciplines to develop. But I think it's the most rewarding, like when you can actually begin to connect with God in that place. Like, I think that's I think that's the <laughs> some people were getting on to me about this, but I think it is the most important thing in the Christian life. Um and I don't really have a proof text for that. And you guys can contest that. But I, I do think it is like, I mean, you see the example of Jesus getting alone and praying all night, um, often going to solitary places to pray. And maybe this is just my the charismatic influence in my life that's making me um, emphasize this or, or the revivalist tendencies that I have. But I, I think it's super important. And you guys can feel free to push back on that. I promised people that you would maybe push back on my my um thesis so your pietism yes exactly <laughs> uh, yeah i it's certainly important i would never i would never argue with that it's hard to quantify what the most important things in a christian life are it probably depends on the thing that you are least likely to do what about what about you anthony or dave you guys have any thoughts on prayer um, yeah, pr um, I'm one of the people that especially, well, I have focus issues anyway. So, um, <laughs> I, I have a hard time, anything that requires sustained focus. And, um, the other thing is, I don't know, a lot of times it just in prayer, I find myself as I'm trying to pray, either telling God things he must already know, um, or just parroting things that it just to say something uh -huh. um, so what i found to be really helpful for me and i grew up in a obviously in an anabaptist setting where anything that smacked anything of catholicism uh, was was frowned on but i found that the practice of repeated prayer has helped me to um ha has helped to begin to focus my mind in that and that's that's something that I'm even open to the possibility that maybe it's a lower level of prayer and that there's, that there's higher, better ways of praying or, or connecting with God. But for me, that's been something um, that has been terrifically helpful. It's almost like training wheels or somebody, you know, like when you take, when you take a, um, you're teaching your kid how to write and you take their hand and you guide their hand to show them um, that's what it's been like. And, it, and it's really helped me to, to feel that connection. So I often pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, I pray the Lord's Prayer repeatedly. Um, there was, it kind of comes and goes, but um, there's been times in my life where, you know, I pray it a dozen, two dozen, you know, a hundred times a day, just as I'm going about the day as a means of reaching out to God. Um, so that's, that's been something that helped, that's helped me, but I certainly wouldn't consider myself to be any um, giant or prayer warrior or anything along those lines. Um, prayer is something, um, especially the focused prayer like Titus is talking about that I find really difficult because my mind is everywhere and all these things. So, so Matthew, um, how, <clears throat> did, have you been going to KFW for a while? Like, or like, be, because I, well, I started going back a long time ago. Joel wasn't even married when I first started going. Oh, wow. Uh, because I, I know that, that, especially 
um, I guess in their, their beginning days, or at least when I first started going, they were really big into, into this sort of prayer. And, um, you know, they would have all night prayer meetings, right? It was, it was a really big deal. Did you find anything sort of pretentious about that? Or did you think that was like really, really cool? I, I, I've always enjoyed that kind of thing. I think the charity people in general, and that was even, even those that were Mennonite churches uh, in those early KFW days were charity persuasion among Mennonites. And so I think there was a real emphasis in that group of people on that kind of prayer and that style of prayer. And I, 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 I've always appreciated that. In fact, we used to have all night prayer meetings in my, in my church in Oregon. And we're, we're actually talking about, I think maybe even this Friday, we're going to get together and pray through the Psalms in, in an evening. Um, all of them. Yeah. We're going to try. Wow. I've done that a few times <laughs> in the past. Um, it's a, it's a neat experience, but <clears throat> I, there are people who are pretentious, but I don't find the experience in general pretentious. I, th I think yeah. it's a good exercise. Yeah. And I've not, um, when I, when we have done all night prayer meetings in the past, and like I said, we used to do a, roughly about once a quarter or so in, in my first church, um, we would use the Psalms as like a springboard. Like if there was a, if there was a lull in prayer and we didn't, people were kind of out of things to say, we would, we would resort to the Psalms. And, and, but I'm a very extemporaneous person. Uh, so, so that kind of like to read a Psalm turns into whatever it evokes. The other thing is that I'm, I'm charismatic and I, I, I do pray in tongues. And so that's a recourse that I use from time to time as well, that I think bolsters, bolsters my prayer life in ways that not everybody has access to. Do you, do you, you've had charismatic experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Drew Latin is, is, is watching this and we're actually going to probably have a conversation on that. Um, at some point in the future, I, I've had a lot of charismatic experience and I, not as much anymore, just because there's a lot in that, that certain those circles that are sort of goofy. Um, I, I actually have zero experience with charismatic circles. I've never okay. been in a, I mean, maybe once or twice, but I've never been among them as people. Yeah. Now, as far as tongues, yeah, I, I have prayed in tongues, um, I, I actually did a term paper on the gift of tongues when I was at SMBI, which was an interesting place to do it. And I, my conclusion was that there's sort of three categories of tongues in, mm -hmm. in the New Testament. The one would be, uh, you know, at, at the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, where they're actually speaking other languages for the purpose yep. of proclaiming the, the greatness of God in the gospel. And the other would be the category of, I think it's more in, in the prophetic sphere mm -hmm. where you're actually you're giving a word from god and someone interprets it right um, and then the third category would be uh what paul says is the language of angels and no right. one understands it your mind is unfruitful but your spirit is connecting with god i would say i've experienced that that third category but i haven't experienced it in the sense of i'm just sitting here doing nothing and my tongue starts moving and i start doing this 
that it, I don't have that. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that that's not how it is for some people. For me, it's just the same way as if I would talk to God right now, it's something I have to initiate and do. And mm-hmm. it's, um, it's not something I do a lot. I, especially recently, because there's, I, there, there's always these doubts that I'm making it up, you know, that, that this is, I'm, I'm full of it and, and whatever. Um, and maybe it's those doubts that keeps me from doing it as much. Um, so I, I don't know, like, is, do you think that that third category is for every believer? Like all, no, okay. I, I don't think any of those three categories are for every believer. I think they're unique gifts. Okay. But I, I agree with your assessment that that's how the, man, the those are the manifestations of the gift of tongues. It's the, it's the only way to make sense of all the scriptures about tongues because they they cross such a wide gamut of operation. So how would you know that, like for me, for example, uh-huh. how would I know that I have that third category? Because I can do it. All of us can do it. Right. right. <laughs> you like, know, what's funny is that everyone. Uh, so I've had some I've been friends with Pentecostal people who grew up in Pentecostal circles very genuine, very holy people. But all of my friends from that background sound the same when they speak in tongues. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's a very recognizable sound. And all the people that I know that speak in tongues that I've prayed with that don't come from that background sound very, very different. Now, that's just a little anecdote mm-hmm. of Matthew Milioni's personal uh, observations. <sighs> I, I, I heard... Um, I went to see uh, Zach Poonin one time. He was speaking here in Pennsylvania or in in Massachusetts in um, an Indian charismatic church. And it was very interesting to me. He, he kind of re- rebuked that church for false tongues. And what he said is, he said, if I, if I go to Tokyo right now and get on a subway car, I don't know a lick of Japanese. I don't know a single word of it. But if I listen to everybody in that subway car, I can tell that they are speaking a language. <laughs> you know, it's not just a repetition of a sound. It's not, it's not this, you know, shamala ramala lamala lamala. It's not, you know, shit about a Honda. It's it's there's a there's a language being spoken, even if you don't know it, you recognize the character of language. And I think that's a different thing. I don't believe the AG premise that it is the evidence of the speaking of tongues uh, there's clear scriptures that it's, it's a unique gift for some people and not for others mm-hmm. yeah yeah so um and so you're saying that that third category should sound like a language even though it's a heavenly language and not yeah. a one i think we talked about this when when my wife and i were at your house actually if it's um, a heavenly language you would expect it to be more sophisticated not less than an earthly kind one of like the um in lord of the rings the elf language something like that um <laughs> but but you still haven't answered my question how do i know that i for sure have well i i don't know i so my own experience is this is where you know these gifts of the spirit especially speaking in tongues especially in this version of speaking in tongues is highly subjective uh, that's been one of my markers uh, and i it's not like i'm out to discount brothers gifts that are the coming from that background and sound like should have bought a honda <laughs> if it's edifying to you bless god I, i'm gonna but, do shoot about a honda in, in um, google translate right <laughs> but i i thought I, it was i should have bought a i bought a honda but i should have bought a kia that's english <laughs> that's definitely a language so i um 
that's that's one thing that I've used that like I, in my experience when I hear people that sound like they're speaking a language that means something a little bit different to me. But the other thing is that um, the way that I came upon that gift was very confirmational. Um, it wasn't something that I it wasn't something that I would so here very experientially again, but it wasn't something that I was trying to do. I wasn't around people who did that. It was a, it was a very unique circumstance that happened between me and the Lord. And, and I had, I had a few different experiences. I'm kind of a second definite work guy as far as the baptism of the Holy ghost. And so I had an experience that I would, that, that I would call the baptism of the Holy ghost but I did not speak in tongues. It was almost a year later until I did. But when I had that experience with the Holy ghost, I felt the same way. Like, did I make that up? Was that for real? Like what was happening? And, and it came upon me again. Um, this is a whole nother can of worms, but I, 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 I was studying the Holy ghost and especially the baptism of the spirit for a long time. And, um, and there's a, there's Tozer used to preach at Reedheads church in New York, every year and he's Reedhead said that he would say the same thing every year he would do a message on the baptism of the holy ghost and he said every year he would say the same thing that Tozer would say there are three things true of everyone who's received the baptism of the holy ghost they know that it happened they knew when it happened and it came upon them suddenly and that's a pretty good that's a pretty good metric when you're talking about historically or or scripturally those are th- three things. And I think the language of, of baptism, like nobody is guessing as to whether or not, unless you're baptized as an infant, which I don't think counts, but all of us who were baptized don't doubt whether it happened. It was an event. It's very purposefully mm-hmm. an event that demarks your life. So, so those, when I think when these gifts come out of those experiences, what the gifts I think are supposed to be is what they're called the earnest of the inheritance. And I don't know what the modern translations do with that earnest, but um, down payment, maybe like the one place in common vernacular where we use earnest still is in real estate transactions. You give earnest money. That's like non-refundable money. If you're serious about a house, you give earnest money. And, and that's the sense in which that expression is in the Pauline literature is the earnest of our inheritance. It's the down payment. It's the thing from him that we know comes from him and not from us. And the the manifestation of that gift in my life has brought such peace and connection with the Holy Spirit and God, whether it's in times of crisis or times of, of sorrow, or there's a recourse that I have because of that gift where I can connect with the divine in very deeply meaningful ways. And I think that's the intention of that, of that particular manifestation of the gift. And so I think if you're experiencing those things and if you've come upon it that way, and it has that fruit in your life, those are good evidences that, that you can take to the bank, if you will. Yeah. That's good stuff. So then the, um, if, if his, his analysis then being the, um, that it was, you know, they knew it happened, they knew when it happened and, um, it came upon them suddenly. So then that's not, that's not something that a person can go and get. It's something God does to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, I think there are ways to procure it. I think that consecration and petition are two mechanisms in the scriptures that we're taught to do. Like the, 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 there's two times that Jesus tells us to ask, like, and, mm-hmm. and in, with importunity for the gift of the spirit. So there are things that we can do, but we can't gin it up. You can't manufacture it. Okay, that makes sense. So it's it's something that is, it's a gift. You can right. ask for a gift, right? But you can't make a gift happen because right. if you had some type of um, agency in making the gift happen, now it's not a gift anymore. It's something you earned or brought right. to pass in some other way. Makes sense. We're, we're, we're at an hour, Anthony, and we told you we'd get you out of here. Do you have any thoughts on prayer you want to share with us before you sign out? No, I don't really think I have anything to add. Um, I'm like Dave. I, I, uh, I, have an, I have a mind that jumps around if it doesn't have something to focus on, clear and tangible to focus on. So it's a, it's a struggle for me. Um, I always do my best thinking, almost always do my best thinking. Um, when I'm face to face with other people or in an environment like this. Um, and so, and so private, um, private prayer is, is something that I'm always looking for instruction on um, and, and an area I feel I'm weak in. Do you, does it work better if you walk and pray? Have you tried that? Uh, pacing has never been my thing. Um, I don't feel like that helps me. No, sitting still is mm-hmm. probably my best. Sitting still in in, in a quiet um, environment, like like uh, out in the woods or somewhere, where there's like it's not it's not a uh, where there's a little bit of stimulus for my senses, um, but not distraction, mm-hmm. is probably ideal for me. Um, can I bring up a few pet peeves of prayer? Sure. sure. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, we, I, I do tick with Felix and, and I've talked to him a lot about prayer because it's a construct that's really difficult for him to understand. And I think that he has the same misconception that most Christians have, at least in America, that prayer is about petition. It's about getting something from from the man upstairs and mm-hmm. and I, i've really tried to uh condition that conversation with felix that it's about communication and that yes. the greatest the greatest value of prayer is not to curry favor with the divine mm-hmm. but to but to in 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 the form of meditation with the divine sanctify yourself like i mm-hmm. change my thought patterns and my emotional patterns and my spiritual patterns and my behavior patterns by meditating with the divine. But that's really the outcome that I'm after is to, to make me more like him through, right. through meditation and communication. So that's one thing I, I don't like the, I don't like the Tim Tebow prayer. <laughs> and I, I don't mean to criticize Tim Tebow himself, just that that picture of the praying for the touchdown and thank you, God, we won the Super Bowl kind of mentality. I hate that stuff. But mm-hmm. there's there's things that are a little closer to home in our circles. Uh, and I, I, I feel bad. I, I don't mean to. Crit- 
I don't mean to make anybody feel bad, but there are things that always make me wonder. I come from the evangelical church where they used to have unspoken requests and, uh, <laughs> and anonymous prayers. And I'm always like, I don't know. I don't have the slightest clue what to do with that. I don't, well, and there's something that's like it. Um, and this I know happens in, in, in Mennonite churches where you go to a prayer meeting and you take prayer requests and uh, I want to pray for my neighbor, Bob, and I want to pray for my aunt Susie, and I want to pray for my cousin, Joe, and I want to pray for this and that and other person. And so then somebody opens your muted, Anthony. I was going to say, and for our nation. And for our nation. And, and then somebody and invariably like has written, written the list down and says, Heavenly Father, we want to pray for Joe, and we want to pray for Bill, and we want to pray for Sally, and we want to pray for Timmy. And I'm always like, what are you doing? Like, God doesn't need you to tell him who these people's names are. Like, that doesn't do anything. And I, I've always felt like where corporate prayer is meaningful is when we're connecting to each other's struggles. And that's why the idea mm -hmm. of anonymous prayer or unspoken request totally has always missed the point to me that I, how do I bear your burden if I don't know what it is? Or, I mean, I guess I could bear your burden that you're burdened, but that's, that's a pretty shallow entry level. Anyhow. Well, the scripture says we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit does that. Right. Um, so maybe for those, maybe you should just turn those unspoken requests over to the spirit and let him handle them. Yeah. <laughs> one that, um, one that, bugs me is the um because we're always supposed to pray the will of god and um one that bugs me is when people pray things and say uh you know pray xyz would happen if that's not against your will um uh, like what in the world is that <laughs> well <laughs> you look know? at the way I mean, look <laughs> look at the way your children yeah. ask you for things like yeah. they, if they need something they just ask you like they're not worried that it's going to be something you don't i mean they might be worried that you won't give it to them Right. They're not worried they're going to make a mistake by asking right. if you're a good yeah. dad. Yeah. Or my favorite, my favorite, like, corporal uh, method of praying together. I don't know if that's the right way to use that word, but I use it that way. Um, <laughs> my favorite public way of praying with other believers is something I, I actually did kind of learn at KFW where you're, you're not, like you said, Matthew, you're not going around and, and going down a list of prayer requests. You're, um, everyone is just spontaneously praying their hearts out and you kind of like finish each other's prayers in a mm -hmm. sense. Like you keep it going, not by going down a list, but by mm -hmm. all entering into that prayer and then mixing it with, with songs, with, with singing worship songs. And I'm not thinking of like, all right, in Jesus name, amen. Uh, which, what song should we sing? And, and spending yeah. 20 seconds figuring out what song to sing. I mean, that just kills the, the vibe, you know, but we're like someone just spontaneously, start singing a worship song and you you continue to sing this song in the same sense that you're praying you're singing right. it to mm -hmm. god in worship not to hear yourself sing um and then also mixing that with scripture in in the meditative sense where you're mm -hmm. you just like you, you're saying you read out a psalm or another scripture and no one talks like you don't talk to each other it almost feels like you're um, I, I just doesn't feel right to talk to each other at that point because right. these three practices are so tied up with each other and you're connecting with God in those three ways. Like that's, that's the, the, the most meaningful types of prayers that I've experienced. Not to say that 
like liturgical prayers and other forms of prayers can't be meaningful. Um, I think we should experiment with a lot of different methods, but that I think is a, a really good way to go about it. It's at least been meaningful in my life. Yeah, I, I do need to get off soon, but I, I might just say one more thing about um, kind of the pray without ceasing concept. I guess we could all probably talk about that for a while longer, but, but it, it's been helpful to me for a long time to think of the kind of relationship you, like Matthew's brought that up a couple times in this conversation, I think, the kind of relationship you have with flesh and blood people. Mm. Um, I mean, first of all, what an amazing privilege that God seems to want to actually <clears throat> allow us to make that kind of link with him. Like, that's why he, one, of the, one of the big, you know, this goes back to the atonement. This is one of the reasons Jesus came so we could see what God looks like when he's our friend, just walking mm. next to us. Um, and so that allows us, prayer is, a, is, is not just something that we go aside and do. It's also, <clears throat> as we're developing a relationship <clears throat> with God, if it's genuine, um, we should be, I, I think of the way that when, when I'm with my wife or when I'm with a good friend that I, I really, you know, that I'm really connected to. If I have an experience, I mean, like I, if I'm having an experience with them, I'm, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going swimming or we're, you know, doing something fun together. Um, and, and some incident happens, like I'm not constantly looking them in the eye and talking to them nonstop while that is going on. Um, but every time something happens, I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm bouncing that, like I'm experiencing that event with them mm -hmm. and I'm looking to them for their reaction to something that, that occurs or to, you know, when the, something funny happens, we all laugh together and there's this sense of constant connection. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's the way, that's the way prayer should, I think, permeate our entire life if we're doing it right. Um, that we have times like you do one-on-one -on -one with a friend where you just sit down and you really intensely connect about something really deep and spiritual. But there are other times when you're just going through your day together with somebody you like and, and you, you, their presence is still right there with you and you behave differently in that situation than you do when you're completely by yourself because you're aware of their presence even if you're not actually even thinking of them at the moment. So... So I think I, I, to, to me, to me, that's another aspect of prayer that often gets ignored entirely is the, is, is the way that it's not that you're in constant communication, like constant, constant active, conscious communication with God necessarily. But if, but I think the point we're all striving for is to where we're consciously aware of him and the channel is open um, so that there's nothing you know, we don't have to get into a different mode if we need to suddenly communicate with him about something that's going on. Has everybody read Practice of the Presence of God? I think I, read I don't most believe I made it, it a through. long time ago. Brother Lawrence. Yeah. I've uh, read at least a good share of it. It's a fantastic book. I, <clears throat> it was really thought provoking to me. I probably read it, I don't know, close to 20 years ago, but the idea that his claim was that he was as uh, as close and as intimate with God when he was doing dishes in the kitchen as he was when he was kneeling prostrate in prayer mm -hmm. was a 
ideal I wanted to chase. Well, I'm going to get off, guys. Okay. Thank you for this conversation. All right. Yeah, we won't do any media recommendations this week. <laughs> you, Matthew, you can get off. We're not going to say anything too crazy. We need to go back. Uh, we need to. We need to for the for the benefit of everyone. We need to uh, set there this we up. Go. There, there we go. Oh, there we are. Yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> What's his name again? Um, the, the guy in the back. Stanley. Um, Stanley. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I do I'm have. Sorry, uh, I know. <laughs> I do have a, a book recommendation that is it's not spiritual or anything, but it's an amazing book. Um, that you know, if you're looking for a book to read, uh, yeah, especially if you got kids or whatever. Um, I, it's a book I've probably read half a dozen or a dozen times. Um, it's called Black Duck. Um, and it's, it's a probably early teen level. Um, I think young adult literature is, is massively underrated. It's one of the only books that I've ever written fan mail to the author and she wrote back and that really made my week. Uh, but it's, it's a historical fiction. It's set in the prohibition and it's got a terrific amount of dramatic irony because the reader pretty much from the beginning of the story knows how the story ends and so the tension comes from watching the characters going down the path because the story is set in the present, but it, it's told in flashbacks about something that happened back in the 1930s. Basically, the Coast Guard shot, up this, shot, out, shot up this rum running boat. Um, anyway, so that's my book recommendation. It's not spiritual, but it's a, it's a, really, it's a really, really beautiful, well-told story. And it's based on fact. You can actually go in read a little bit about the historical background. So if you've got kids that are looking for a book to read in a quarantine, or you need something to read that's um, that, that's got some good literary quality, you should definitely check it out. Black Who's the Canyon. author? Uh, Janet Taylor author Lyle. Again. Janet Taylor Lyle. It's Black Duck is the title. Okay. You got anything you want to recommend that's not worldly heathen entertainment, Anthony or Titus? Um. Well, depending on your definitions of worldly and heathen, I don't, I don't think this, I think this would, would count. Um, the uh, one that I'm still working on, I, I've kind of read it in fits and starts, it's heavy reading, but Rene Girard's I See Satan Fall Like Lightning. Um, I'm in the I middle of it with, myself. Yeah, I don't agree with everything in there, but uh, it's been a great, it's been a great read. And for, if you want another perspective on, on, and on this whole idea of scapegoating and, and uh, the atonement and the gospel, as well as a, a really useful framework for looking at what's happening around you in society at almost any time in history. Um, that this is an a good read. It's it's heavy. If you don't like you know kind of heavy philosophical stuff, you you might not enjoy it. But but it's rewarding if you if you do. I, I think I enjoy it more as philosophy and psycho social psychology than theology. I would have theological qualms with them, I'm sure. Yeah, but, yeah. But the I, idea I don't know is that, very prescient. I don't know that I'm theologically on the same page on a lot of things with Rene, Rene Girard, but yeah. but uh, but his as a description of the the psychological function of societies, it's it's really really um, helpful. Yeah. You got anything, Titus? 
Um, well, I was just thinking uh, my, my favorite book or the book that has influenced me the most besides the Bible is Radical by David Platt. Um, so I would highly recommend that book. Another really good book is The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt, uh, Why Good People Disagree on Religion and Politics. And he, the premise of that book is that we form our beliefs intuitively and then use rationale to defend them. And uh-huh. In my experience, I've I've noticed that that's what people do, and that the book just really explores that premise. So I would I would recommend those two books. H a i d t. H a i d t. Yeah, I read his other one. What's his other one about? Uh, Coddling of the American. Yeah, mind. I, I that just one's really good too. I just read that uh, this uh, earlier this year. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah, I'm going to recommend, because of our conversation, that book that I already referenced, uh, Brother Lawrence's Practice of the Presence of God. It's a Mm -hmm. series of letters between an old monk. I don't even know when he lived, a long time ago. Uh, He wrote a series of letters to a friend about how to practice the presence of God, how to be in God's presence, and it's, it's a phenomenal book. Okay, is that it? It's been real. Okay, we'll see you all next Monday. Keep it down. Good night. All right. Yep. Peace, guys. Peace to you.